0: Psalm 1, we'll read from verse 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by rivers of water, that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. The ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore, the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous." For the way of the ungodly shall perish. May God be pleased to bless His word to us as we come to um, continue to meditate upon that psalm in a minute. Before then, let's pray once again. Psalm 1. We started this psalm by looking at the godly man. What he would not do. And we reminded ourselves in verse 1. That he will not walk in the council of the ungodly. He will not stand in the path of sinners. Nor sit in the seat of scoffers. But this man has separated himself from the ungodly. And has separated himself unto God. And last time we looked at verse 2. That his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law, he meditates day and night. Last time, we looked at that, and um, I reminded you of the privilege that is us in owning God's word. Remember Mary Jones and her Bible? You know, what, you know how we came to, you know, in possession of our Bible. And I talked about the importance of reading and meditating on God's word. Now, I was going to move on to Um, verse 3 today, but somehow I felt that I must, um, you know, continue, you know, with talking about the meditation on God's word. So I want to, to, you know, stay with that, you know, at least, you know, for, um, you know, for tonight. Now, the Bible is not like any other book in the world. It's a unique book because it does not originate with man, but it originates with God. It is God's revelation of himself to us. That is why we must treat it, we must not treat it as a novel. We must give time to reading it, to studying it, and to meditating upon it. As um, the godly man will do, we're told that um, he delights very much in the law of the Lord. And he meditates upon it day and day. It was his great and exceedingly delight. And so I want to, for that reason, I want to continue um, with this um, study on meditating on God's word. And here, I want to outline just two things about uh, what I want to say um, tonight. That when we meditate on God's word, there are some benefits that we derive from it. There are some benefits that we derive from it. And tonight I want to mention two benefits that we derive from meditating upon God's word. Now, first of all, when we, you know, when we meditate on God's word with any degree of seriousness, it will convict us of our sin. It will convict us of our sin. It will reveal our depravity to us. It will expose our vileness. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12 says, For the word of God is living and active, is sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of the soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. That's God's word. As God's words. it pierces. It says, it pierces, it you know, penetrates, and it discerns. You know, our motives and so on. You know it um, brings it, you know, to light. You know for us, you know, a man may have um, you know good morals and um, he might be well respected and held in high regard in his society, but when the Holy Spirit applies, you know, the word to his heart and to his conscience opening his mind to see his relation and attitude to God, he will cry out with Isaiah, Woe is me, for I am undone. Each time God blesses his word to our hearts, we are made to feel how far short we are, how far short we've come of God's standards that he has set before us. Now, the word of God does not deal, just deal with you know, general you know, sins and so on. It is concerned also with specific sins. Turn with me to Galatians chapter 5. And we see, you know, God um, being very specific about sins in Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5 and verse 19 says this. Says now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contention, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambition, dissensions, heresies, envy murderous, drunkenness, reveries and the like. And so, he mentions sins. remember, you know, Paul was writing to the Christian church and he lists, you know, these specific sins, you know, to them. And as you and I meditate upon God's word, as we take time, you know, to meditate upon God's word, we must not gloss over, you know, these um, sins that I mentioned. We must ask ourselves, you know, questions about them. Do I see these sins in my own life? Do I see them in my own life? You must ask that question. The Bible calls them the works of the flesh. Again, in um, Colossians chapter 3, turn with me please. Colossians chapter 3, you know, Paul, again, writing to the church in Colossae, um, again, lists specific sins to them. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 5. It says, therefore put to death members which are you know earthly, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desires, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Verse 8 talks about anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language. So he lists specific sins and um, you know brings it before these people and he tells them. That these sins are not acceptable to God. And as we meditate upon God's word, we come to a passage like this. We must stop with each sin and think about it. I can remember, you know, some years ago, I had real problem with anger. And I remember, you know, reading Colossians. And I came to chapter 5. Going through these sins. And I got to chapter 5, verse 5, where it talks about anger. And I remember you know, pausing and crying out to God, telling God about you know, my situation, that I don't like it. I told God, it is not right that as a Christian, and as a Christian leader, that I should be um, in such a state. And I prayed and prayed about it. And I remember that same day, I went to work. That was in the morning. I went to work and um, I, pulled out, I pulled up in the car park and one of my staff, can't remember exactly what they did now, but they did something that wasn't right. And I listened into them. I listened into him. Poor chap was a withering wreck. And then um, I went upstairs to my office and I sat down And what I did dawned on me. And I just was in floods of tears before God. This was exactly what I was praying for. Lord, why? Why? But through that experience, God began to gradually deal with my sin of anger. And thank God, today, I can truly say, I'm not the person that I used to be. And all because I meditated upon God's word. This is what God's word does for us. It convicts us of our sin. It shows us what we are before God. We must not gloss over in God's word. But not only will it convict us of our sins, it will make us sorrow for our sins. God will grant us Godly sorrow for our sins. Now I believe that you know, true repentance actually comes after conversion. It is true that when someone comes to Christ initially. We are convicted and we repent of our sins. Otherwise we could not be Christians. However it is later as we go into the Christian life. And we begin to meditate upon the scriptures. That our sinfulness, the extent of our rottenness, you know, comes to comes to fall as we think about what Christ did for us, you know, um, you know, His suffering and so on. That's when we are broken. That's when we are broken before God, and we feel real godly sorrow for our sins. We remember the Lord Jesus Christ. In his Sermon on the Mount, the Lord sums up the character of those who will follow him. He says in verse 4 of chapter 5 of Matthew's Gospel, he says, blessed are those who mourn. Mourn for what? For their sins. They are heartbroken that they have offended a holy God. It is when the Holy Spirit applies God's word to us as we meditate upon it that we are made to feel our inward corruption and we feel broken about it. have a good example in King David. You remember he committed adultery with Bathsheba. Prophet Nathan went to him and applied God's word to him. And David was absolutely broken. He cried out to God in Psalm 51 verse 4 against you, you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight. We realize that what he did was evil in his sight. Again, we read in Genesis chapter 39, you know, Joseph, when Potiphar's wife, you know, tried to seduce him and he wouldn't yield. He said to her, how can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Our sins have primary reference to God. Every sin that we commit, first and foremost, is against God. We must bear that in mind. David said, I have sinned against you and you only. He sees his sin as a great evil against God. He is heartbroken about it to confess sin sometimes you know, without any remorse is to take Christ's sacrifice for granted, is to trample underfoot the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. I can remember when I was a Catholic. Every Saturday, I would go to the priest and confess my sins. My heart was not in it. My heart was not in it. I was mistaken, thinking at that time that um, the priest you know, could actually forgive me for my sins i go out and do exactly the same thing. There's no remorse whatsoever. I hope we are not like that in any shape or form. We must be heartbroken about our sins. We must have godly sorrow for our sins or else God will not forgive us because it shows we're not truly repentant. And having a godly sorrow you know, for our sin will lead to a forsaking of sin. You cannot meditate on the scriptures without you know, coming to understand that there must be a forsaking of sin. 2 Timothy chapter 2 verse 19. Let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. It's as clear as daylight. The more we read and meditate on the word of God, the more we discover what pleases and displeases God. And hopefully, hopefully, walk in a way that pleases him. 2 Corinthians chapter 7 verse 1. Paul says, having these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit. Forsake sin. Colossians chapter five, Colossians chapter three, and verse five talks about putting to death that which is earthly in you. Put it to death. It's another way of saying forsake. You know that sin. Put it to death. And again, we read in verses eight and nine of um, Colossians chapter three. It says, "But you yourself now, you know, put off these things. Put them off." And at least, you know, the, the sins we are to forsake, you know, sin. To confess sin and not willing to forsake it is not repentance at all. We must forsake our sins. Again, you know, Peter, you know, who wrote to the scattered Christians in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 1 says this. Therefore, laying aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all and all evil speaking, as newborn babes desire the pure spiritual milk, milk that will make you grow thereby. Lay aside, you know, forsake you know, all these you know, terrible sins, he says. Put it away, forsake them. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 15 says, talking about Christ, He died for all that those who live might no longer. Live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised, we are to put off, we are to forsake in a sin. You cannot spend time reading the scriptures without coming to these conclusions. Psalm 119 and verse 9 says, How will a young man cleanse his way? The answer is by taking heed according to your word. By personally applying God's word to our way of life, it is by taking heed of God's word that we flee from the things that displeases God. We separate ourselves, you know, just like this godly man did in Psalm 1. You know, he um, separated himself, you know, from those you know, who are evil and from sin. And so we are told you know, to do that, to separate ourselves from evil. Proverbs 28 and verse 13. And I think, you know, that's a good text because it makes it very, very clear. It says that we should not only confess our sins, but we should forsake them. It is those who forsake their sins that God will forgive. Confess your sins as many times as you like. If you are not willing to forsake them, God will not forgive you. God will not forgive you. You must be willing to forsake sin. Our aim is to be like the Lord Jesus Christ. That is what we aim for. And the only way we can begin to be like him is to begin to see that you know, Christ is absolutely holy and um, he wants us to be holy you know, like him. And so, this Proverbs, you know, says, let me read it. It says, he who covers his sins will not prosper. But whoever confesses and forsakes them, you know, God will have mercy on him. Very clear. Very clear. So, I ask you, do you spend time in God's word? Do you meditate upon God's word? Or do you just skim you know, through the scriptures? I said, it is not a novel. It's a very serious book. It's a revelation of God himself to us. And we should give time you know, to it. You know, do you search the scriptures to discover you know, what pleases God? Do you? I hope. I hope you do. I hope you do. Now, the other thing that um, you know, we would profit from when we begin to seriously you know, meditate upon God's word is that we will understand the true nature of the world in which we live in. We will understand the true nature of the world in which we live in. And the world is Evil. And the world has always been evil since the fall of man. The Lord Jesus Christ describes the world of his day as a wicked and adulterous generation. Find that in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 16 and verse 4. Peter, preaching on the day of Pentecost, urged his listeners to save themselves from this crooked generation. The world has always been bad, since man, sinned against God. 1 John chapter 5 and verse 19 says, The whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one, that is, the devil. That's why the world is bad. The world has turned its back upon God, and we have nothing to do with God. The world is a bad place. Take it from me. I'm sure by now you know that. Anyway, the world is a very, very bad place. And the world is a system of fallen human beings. When we talk about the world, I'm not talking about the physical world of houses and cars. No, no, no. I'm talking about fallen human beings and the way you know, that they live you know, their lives, you know, their nature, and so on. That's what I mean you know, by the world you know, and it acts according to its own ways. It acts according to its own desires and principles and aims and ambitions. You know, acting you know, primarily to gratify self. That's what you get in the world. The world acts to gratify self. Self is that part of us that will have nothing to do with God. That is in rebellion against God and will not submit to God. Everything that the world does is to please self to promote so-called happiness in this life only and has no time for the afterlife. Look at people today. They have no time for the afterlife. They're just more concerned about the here and now. That's the world that we live in. That's what it teaches us. That's what it promotes. It's to promote self and so on. The world hates Christ and hates Christians. Listen to the Lord Jesus Christ in John's Gospel chapter 15 verse 19. says, if you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, because I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Now the world hates you. Why? As a Christian, the world hates you. What have you done? What have you done to offend the world? You haven't done anything. Just because you wouldn't subscribe, you will not endorse their way of life. They hate you. That's the world we live in. That's the world we live in. It's a terrible, terrible world that we live in. Listen to um, John. In 1 John chapter 2 and (coughs) verse 15. The world we live in is so bad... That we are told not to love the world. That is, we are not to follow the aims, the ambitions, the principles, and the desires of this world. They are bad and will lead to destruction. We are told not to love the things in the world. Because they take our eyes off God and they focus them on material things that will not profit us. At all. The devil, you know, will make sure that our eyes are taken off God and focused on things on this world. The Bible, on the other hand, you know, turns our thoughts and our attention on spiritual things. Colossians chapter 3. Since you have been raised with Christ, it says, focus your minds on things above and not of things of the earth. That's Colossians chapter 3 verses 1 and 2. The word of God teaches us that the things of this world are empty. They are vain. They are hollow. They are not reliable. Fool's gold, that's what they are. It is full of false promises The things of this world are nothing but a hindrance and a distraction to our spiritual walk. That's why the Lord says, don't give attention to the things of this world. Don't chase after the things of this world. They will not do you much good. They will distract us. Meditating on the scriptures will teach us that God wants to win us away from the world and the things in the world, so that we are satisfied you know, with him. And we're also satisfied with what we have. So I ask you, do the things highly valued by the world you know, charm and cap- captivate your attention? Are your present joys and satisfaction found in objects rather than in Christ? This world is evil as I've said. And because the world is evil. We're told that we must overcome the world. We must overcome the world. The world is an enemy to be resisted. And to be defeated. 1 John chapter 5 and verse 4. Whatever is born of God overcomes the world. Nothing but a God given faith. Can overcome the world. <clears throat> Without a God given faith. You know you've had it. As a Christian. You've had it. You will fall under the spell. Of the world. It's only faith in Christ. That can deliver the soul. From the corrupting influences. Of the world. The Lord Jesus Christ died. Not only to save us. From our sins. But also to free us. From the bondage to this world. Also, to deliver the soul from the enthralling influence, you know, um, the captivating of the soul by this world. The Lord Jesus Christ died to do that for us. Jesus breaks the power that the world holds over the Christian. Like, you know, what Paul says in Galatians chapter 6 and verse 14. Where he says, Far be it from me to glory except in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Causes all those things you know, that people chase after, they have no attraction for him whatsoever. He had no interest whatsoever in them. Paul was only concerned about one thing, and that's Christ. Oh, that I might know him, he cries out. His whole life revolves around Christ. He couldn't get enough of Christ. Oh, that I might be like him in every way he cries out. That's what you and I, you know, should be chasing after. Not things of this way. They will not, never satisfy us. To be like Christ is our goal. The things that once, you know, charmed the Apostle Paul, now sickens him, nauseates him. devil, you know, tried it on the Lord Jesus Christ when he, um, you know, tempted him, you know, with material things. In Luke's Gospel, chapter 5, <coughs> in Luke's Gospel, chapter 4, sorry, and in verse 5, it says, then the devil, taking him up on a high mountain, showed him all the kingdom of the world in a moment of time. It says, look at this world, and all that's in it. You know, he tells the Lord Jesus Christ. The devil said to him, All this authority I will give to you, and their glory, for this has been delivered to me. I will give it to whomever I wish. Therefore, if you worship me, it will be yours. And the Lord told him to get lost. Told him to get lost. The Lord was not interested in material things. And you and I, you know, we should not be you know, taking up too much With material things. We thank God for the things that he has given us. We need material things. We need a home. We need a car. We need all these things. But to be overtly taken up. With those things. Will bring our souls to destruction. The spirit of this world. Is diametrically opposed. To that of Christ. That is why Paul says. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And verse 12. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God. The son of God came into the world, but the world knew him not. Therefore, they crucified him. They crucified him. The cares and the concerns you know this world are hostile to a devout and spiritual life. When you meditate upon God's word, you cannot but you know come to that conclusion. You cannot help but see it that you know the concerns of this world they are hostile, you know, to a spiritual life. The concerns of this world is to have this, better that, bigger this, and more of that. That is the that's the, you know, the main concern of the world in which we live in. Does it really matter, my friends, if you cannot take your children to Disneyland in Florida twice a year? Does it matter that you haven't got the latest model of the car that your colleague at work you know, has? Does it matter that you haven't got a mansion you know, like somebody that you know, you know somewhere? So all this, do they really matter? Do they matter? But the world says that's all that matters is to have this, bigger that, better that, and so on. And sadly, some Christians have bought <laughs> into that trap and spend all their time chasing after money, which do not really help them at the end of the day. Those things don't matter at all. We should be content with what God has given us. Our eyes should be focused mainly on the Lord Jesus Christ. And he has promised that he will meet all of our needs. What more do we want? God says he will meet all of our My God shall supply all your needs according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Why do we need to go around you know, giving all our time you know, to things that will not you know, please us? May God help us not to be you know like that. Mark chapter 8 and verse 36. The Lord Jesus Christ asked the question what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? What does it profit him? People are brought up that what really matters in life is, you know, you go to school, make sure you work hard, you know, you come out of school, you go to university, you have your degree, you know, you get a good job, you know, you buy a house, you have a family, and so on and so forth. There's nothing wrong with those things, but if, if that's the main focus of our lives, you know, it will let us that, we, you know, we'll be disappointed. We'll be very, very disappointed. Indeed, what does it profit a man if he has everything and loses his soul? Think about it. That which matters most is your eternal, you know, where you spend eternity, you know, matters most, and that's what we should be giving our attention to, not things of this world. The things of this world, all it does is to promote pride of possession. That's all it does. Which is a sin in itself. The cares of this world, chasing after money, and pleasure will damn ourselves to hell if that's all we do. For the Christian, the cares of this world will become a weight that clings to him and hinders his spiritual progress. Remember what it says in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 2, where it says, let us, you know, um, <clears throat> you know, let us let go of all those things, those weights that cling so closely to us. That's what it does. It hinders our spiritual progress. Lastly, when we meditate seriously on the scriptures, we cannot fail to notice that scriptures teach us to separate ourselves from the world. To separate ourselves from the world. James chapter 4 and verse 4 says, Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity against God? Whoever therefore wants to be friends with the world Makes himself an enemy of God. And that's putting it very, very plainly. We should separate ourselves from the world. 1 John chapter 2 and verse 15. 1 John chapter 2 and verse 15. If any man loves this world, the love of the Father is not in him. We must remember that we are pilgrims in this world. We haven't come to pitch our tent permanently in this world. Indeed, it's a terrible thing when a Christian is taken up with this world. Paul tells us in Romans chapter 12 and verse 2 do not be conformed to this world. Don't let the world squeeze you into this mold. Don't let the world you know shape and mold your life. No, you know, resist it at all cost by the transforming and the renewing of your mind that you may prove that you know which is acceptable and perfect to God. What I say to you, I say to myself. What are your aims in life? What are your aspirations? What do you want from life? For the Christian, his aim, his goal should be heaven. And to get to heaven, we must be purified. And in this life, we are being purified, being sanctified, bit by bit, so that we are ready for heaven. But if we give ourselves many to that which is not profitable, Well then, we are not fit, you know, for heaven. So I want to encourage you. Please, you know, take time to read, to study, to meditate upon God's word. That means that we have to carve out, you know, good times, you know, in our, you know, daily life, so to spend, you know, with God. To read His word. Think about what we are reading. To apply it to ourselves, to see how you know it affects us, and that in itself will lead to prayer. That in itself will lead to prayer, and that will be prayer from the heart. My prayer life is, um, you know, it, my prayer life is, um, you know, comes from my reading of the Scriptures. It informs my prayer life. I'm not saying that my prayer life is, you know, something great. But that's, you know, the way I live my life. Make time for God. Please make time for God. Let's not come up with all these excuses. Oh, I haven't got time. God has time for you. Why haven't you got time for God? God doesn't rush in his dealing with you. Why are you rushing when you're having dealings with God? Make time for God. Spend time with God daily. And I'm sure you will notice a difference in your life. May God help us, each one, to be those who give time you know, to God's word to meditate upon it and to profit from it. Amen. Okay.